Disney has finally revealed ESPN's financials as a standalone entity. Plus, we'll hear from McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown later in the episode. It's Friday, October 20th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Disney reported ESPN's earnings as a separate entity for the first time ever, revealing quite a lot about the worldwide leader. Joining me now to discuss is senior writer Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. Great to have you, Mike. So what's what's your big takeaway from the big ESPN reveal? Uh, Owen, I've got a couple of takeaways. Despite the recent layoffs and the cost cutting, ESPN is a far more powerful and profitable entity than anybody knew. Uh, $20 billion in annual revenues, $4 billion in profits uh, over the last fiscal year. I mean, this is a monster. Uh, The problem for ESPN is that the trend lines are going south uh, with cord cutting and cord shaving uh, and the number of cable subscribers is falling while the price of sports rights is rising. So that one-two punch is battering their results. But I tell you, Owen, as impressive as these results are, I would have loved to have seen them 10 years ago. Forget it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, before all this cord cutting, when they were just getting 10 bucks per every cable subscriber. Yeah, that's... Um, they were in 100 million homes. Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, so how should we uh, now look at all the layoffs that you, you just alluded to in Bristol, including some very big names, you know, Jeff Van Gundy and you know, any number of others? Um Should we be kind of seeing those in a new light now? Yeah, we should. And and I've been on the phone with a lot of people uh, inside and outside of the company since these results came out. And I think there's a bit of frustration there in Bristol. They're kind of saying to themselves, okay, so for 20 years, we have provided billions upon billions of dollars in profits to Burbank. So Iger could go out and buy Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox. And yet, you know, when the time comes when Disney uh, is having financial problems, we have to bear the brunt of that with layoffs. We're the one that has been the most profitable ones in the whole company. So I I think there is a a bit of frustration, Owen, that they had to go through yet another round of layoffs, their third or fourth in recent years, to basically make up for losses sustained by Disney 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Disney, so there's been all this chatter around, should they spin off ESPN? Should they sell ESPN? Should they sell ABC or Hulu? Um, where Do we have a sense of how they might be thinking about all those calculations, uh, again, in light of these financials? Well, Owen, I, I think if you're Bob Iger, I think you now really understand why he chose not to sell off ESPN. And, and it's not because he has rosy memories of having coffee with Rune Arledge at ABC Sports back in the day. It's because this thing is a monster and is still a huge financial driver for him. So I, I think it's a very smart move by Iger to let these financial out financials out there and let's see what kind of strategic investors would be interested in ESPN. I think you're going to get a lot more companies interested now that they finally got to look under the hood. And any spidey sense around who those strategic investors might be? Well, I mean, you got to start with the NFL. Uh, The NFL is already a partner for ESPN, and they work closely together. And also, uh, Owen, uh, the NFL and Disney 
are, you know, like twins right now. They, they love each other. So I would start there. And then I would also take a look at Apple. Uh, I mean, if Apple wants to uh, get its hand on a huge dis- dis- distribution device across sports, they can't do better than the worldwide leader. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Should be fascinating to watch. Mike McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. In a way, the American League Championship Series already has a winner, and I don't mean the Texas Rangers or the Houston Astros. I mean Creed. Yes, Creed, the grunge, some would say post-grunge band from the 90s. In the midst of the Rangers Division Series against the Orioles, pitcher Andrew Heaney happened to mention that the team started listening to Creed in the clubhouse during the second half of the season to keep things loose. Not what I listen to to stay loose, but hey, each their own. And now Creed is basically the Rangers' unofficial team band. They've started doing Creed sing-alongs at Rangers games, and the band was in attendance at Game 3 of the ALCS. Creed streams on Spotify are up 175% from last month. But they are not the only Spotify winners of the baseball playoffs. The Phillies anthem is Calum Scott's cover of Robin's Dancing on My Own, which Scott just announced crossed 1 billion streams on Spotify, and he credited the Phillies for helping him get there. If the Phillies and Rangers meet in the World Series, there has to be some kind of battle of the very different bands. Trivia question. The NFL earns the most of any league worldwide in media rights on a per-game basis at $17 million. Which league is second? So again, if you take the amount the league is earning from its media contracts, divide that by the number of games in a season, who is second to the NFL? If you guessed a U.S. league like the NBA, you are wrong. If you guessed the Premier League, you get partial credit because the answer is not the English Premier League, but the Indian Premier League, which is a cricket league. Per Bloomberg, the IPL earns $15.1 million per match over its eight-week season, which is more than the EPL, and gives you a sense of why some see a lot of potential in Major League Cricket, which is the nascent U.S. League, and why a lot of fans and investors were very happy to see cricket get added to the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. Add cricket to the list with soccer and rugby among sports with huge international followings that are looking to make big moves in the U.S. this decade. On Thursday, it became public that Rob Walton is an investor in McLaren Racing after buying in in December 2020. Walton has a net worth of only around $66.9 billion, largely due to the good fortune of being the son of Sam Walton, who founded Walmart and kept it a family business. Last year, Rob Walton used 4.6 of those billions to buy the Denver Broncos, and the new revelation around McLaren makes one wonder if he will become one of the big multi-team owners in the U.S. With the United States Grand Prix happening this weekend in Austin and the inaugural Vegas GP next month, I spoke to McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown on all things F1 and the larger McLaren Racing world, which concludes teams in IndyCar and Formula E. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing. Welcome, Zach. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you. So the Formula One race in Austin is coming up, followed by Vegas. What are you expecting in terms of the reception you'll get this year in the U.S.? I think it's going to be fantastic. We've uh, had a very warm welcome from the U.S. uh, ever since uh, we came back in in Austin in 2012. Of course, that then uh, uh, has been very successful, and that's led to the Miami Grand Prix, which was massively successful. And here we are, uh, Las Vegas, which I never thought I would see a Grand Prix bigger than Miami. And uh, I think that's what we're about ready to see here in November in Las Vegas. I think it's going to be uh, 
the talk of the town and talk of the world. It's the hottest ticket in sports to get. What does that mean? The Miami Grand Prix is the biggest one you've seen of, of all of them so far? From, a, from a, a, an attendance and interest point of view in, in recent times, you know, you, you get that with new Grand Prix. The Singapore Grand Prix was massive and is still massive. So uh, I would say Miami is the most recent massive addition to the uh, calendar and um, a big contributor to Las Vegas happening. I, I think uh, without Austin happening, we wouldn't have had a Miami. Without a Miami and a Netflix, I don't think we would have a Las Vegas. So they're all uh, feeding each other. Yeah, right. Yeah, and of course, Netflix has its its role to play here. We're a few years into um, what you know people on my end think of as like the surge in U.S. interest in F1. You know, at least somewhat driven by Netflix. Where are we at in terms of that? Is it tapered off a little bit? Is it just holding steady? Is it growing? What, what's happening? It's- it's growing. Uh, Netflix um, said that this last series was the most successful yet. Normally, they see, um, I believe, tapering off after a few years. And this last season, which I believe was season five, uh, was the biggest season yet. So we're not seeing any slowdowns there. We haven't even had the Las Vegas Grand Prix yet. So uh, I think that's going to catapult further viewing and interest and we're one year one into a new uh, tv partner contract and then of course you have the brad pitt movie so when i think you, you bundle that all together uh, i would say uh formula one is just getting started in america which is quite exciting yeah and uh and in terms of netflix being around you and your team are you just it's pretty used to them now is are they any kind yeah. of distraction yeah. no we're, we're used to it they do an awesome job the production company that they have um, it's the same people. So you get to know them. Uh, you, you, they know how to blend in. They go in the team gear. They, they give you your space. So, um, I, I would say not only do they not get in the way, you sometimes forget they're there and then have some aha moments of, Oh, I'm not sure I want that on TV. <laughs> so they, they do a great job of blending in. They're very professional. Um, so the FIA has recently approved a bid from Andretti and General Motors to enter as an 11th team in F1. You, unlike many of your competitors support this bid. So why do you want Andretti and GM in F1? Well, I, I support a, uh, a a new team that is additive to the sport, and, and we've been consistent uh, with that. Ultimately, it's up to the FIA and Formula One um, to, to, to make that determination. I know a lot of the teams have been very outspoken, um, but in, in fairness to the teams, ourselves included, we're not presented with what their proposition is. So, you know, I've been consistent that, uh, and a team that adds value to the sport is a good thing. And a team that doesn't add value to the sport isn't a good thing. I think the other teams are taking a view on whether it is or isn't. And, and none of us really know what's been presented. So, um, you know, we have to wait for Formula One now to do their uh, due diligence. Uh, they're the commercial rights holder. So I think there's the FIA, which is, you know, do we think quality teams on the grid adds more racing? It, you know, tick the FIA's box, but they don't share with us their actual findings. So, you know, the teams that weren't approved, I also don't know why they weren't approved. I'm not suggesting they should have been, but we're not privy to what they're looking at. So I think it's important that all the teams, ourselves included, I have a position of if a team's additive, I think it's great for the sport. If a team's not additive, I don't think it's good for the sport. 
I'm not really taking a position on what teams I think are or aren't because I'm not privy to the information that's been submitted. I have to rely on Formula One and the FIA for that. And could you unpack that additive word for me? Like, what would that mean? You know, if let's say we do get an eleventh team, um, yeah, how, what, what would additive look like in that case? You know, grow fan base, grow sponsorship, grow TV ratings, grow revenues. You know, take help grow the sport. You know, will a new team draw interest for new fans? Will a new team? Uh, pay you know the, an appropriate franchise entry fee, which you have in all sports, to which gets then shared with the other ten teams because ultimately we go from sharing uh, ten ways the pie to eleven. So there is a dilutive uh, uh, nature to the prize money, but that's where the franchise fee comes in. Will, you know, will it drive more sponsors because it creates more interest in a market? So you know. We need to grow the fan base. We need more sponsors. We need more revenue uh, coming in. And, and if a new team can help move the needle in those things, that's additive. So the FIA president, Mohammed Ben Suliam, has been saying there should be 12 teams and fewer races. So I want to take those one at a time. Um, you know, perhaps we'll get Andretti. But do you think there's a natural limit to how many you know cars on the grid or, or teams in the tournament? Um, and does 12 sound like the right number? Is it 11? And, you know, what, what do you have a take there? I think the right number is 10, 11, or 12. You know, we've got an awesome sport that's booming, and we have 10 teams. So I don't think we need to put an 11th or 12th team on the grid just for the sake of putting an 11th or 12th team on the grid. We've had 9 to 10 teams for a long time, and look at how popular the sport is. So I don't think there's necessarily a magic number. I think it's 10, 11, or <coughs> 12. I have no problem with it being 10. I have no problem with it being 11 or 12. I don't think it's 13. I think that's too many and brings some logistical challenges that some teams have pointed out about garage space and things of that nature. So I think it's 10 to 12 of the right teams. I think we have 10 great teams right now. You know, I don't think the sport needs more teams, but I think it should welcome new teams if those teams are additive. As far as the calendar goes, we have enough demand to have 30 Grand Prix. That is way too many, but we need to continue to expand. So if you work on the basis of things are additive, if we can bring in more countries, that's new fan base, new revenue, et cetera. I think the solution to that is something like 20 fixed races and eight races that rotate every other year. So I think 24 number, 24 races is the right number, but I'd like to see us in 28 markets because the demand is there. That would be growth. That would bring in new sponsors, new television contracts, new fans, but we can't have 28 races. So I think the solution is, you know, 18 or 20 permanent and eight or 10 that rotate. That gives you market growth and, and is additive to the sport without uh, you know, breaking the calendar because 24 races is definitely the limit. In the race in Qatar, where you had a very good showing, there was extreme heat. Fernando Alonso said he suffered some burns. George Russell said he was afraid of fainting, which is incredibly scary. Um, yeah. F1, you know, it's got a strong presence in the Middle East. I don't expect that to stop. And obviously, it's not the only hot place in the world. But extreme heat is it's not going away. So going forward, what do you think should be done in those kinds of situations? Well, I think we need to review the situation because we've raced in Qatar before. So, you know, what what was different? Was it unseasonably warm was at the time of year. So I think, 
Formula One does a really good job, just like we did with the tires. You know, we ran into a problem and we worked our way through how to put the show on. So I think we need to, under, is there better ways to cool the car? If you're right, because as you said, we're racing in a lot of, I've been in Europe at some races that have felt very much as hot as the Middle East, you know, try Spain in June or Hungary in late July you can get some extreme temperature, then you get humidity, which, you know, Singapore isn't necessarily very hot, but it's very humid. Um, and these cars are very physically demanding. So I think we just need to assess the situation, understand we've been to Qatar before. So why this time? And then what's the solution? Is it moving it earlier in the year or later in the year? Is there some cooling we need to consider with, with the cars to, to, you know, keep the body temperature down. So uh, it's a serious matter that we all take seriously. And what's great is Formula One, when we're problem solving a common problem, does a really good job of coming together to solve problems. Speaking of what's maybe a problem, uh, Red Bull is, has been very dominant this year. They've they won almost every race. They also won last year, maybe not quite as dominantly, but, you know, clear winners. Is is it an issue that uh, they've been as successful as they've been? Um, no, we've seen this in all sports before, right? Whether it's the New York Yankees win the majority of the uh, World Series or, you know, the Oilers in hockey or Michael Schumacher or Tiger Woods. You know, clearly the sport is extremely competitive right behind Max. So that's great because everyone isn't coming just to see one car. Um, two, we're, we're closing the gap, not just us, but the rest of the sport. So I think, yeah, if this dominance continued forever and ever and ever, that wouldn't be healthy. But I, I think the field's getting much closer. I think the balance of the racing has been unbelievable. And I think people are used to in sport – teams or athletes getting on a roll and having a, a a period of domination that for a period is fine. We're talking about two years, not 10 years. And, you know, we're closing the gap and, you know, it's our job to make sure uh, the, the, the lead of the race is exciting as the other 19 positions. Yeah. And you've got some new regulations coming in in 2026 to make cars more electric and sustainable. How do you expect that to change Formula One? I think, you know, Formula One's always been about technology and, and innovation and, and kind of developing technologies that the other you know countries and businesses can use. So I think uh, we'll be introducing uh, more bio and sustainable fuels, more, you know, we've been hybrid since it's what, 2014, 2013. So I think Formula One will continue doing what it's been doing for 70 years, which is leading in innovation and that's safety and that's data. Uh, and and exquisite materials and performance and of course within that sustainability right and uh, it makes me wonder how much do you interact with mclaren the the consumer car company because you know some of your r&d can you know contribute to that yeah um it's a sister company we're uh, very close uh, the ceo and i and our our two organizations so we work very closely together um we we share an awesome brand we you know their fan their their customers are fans of mclaren and and our mclaren fans are fans of our road cars whether they're consumers or or aspirational um and then there are some technology and know-how shares which helps uh sprinkle some uh, magic dust on their uh, awesome road cars yeah. And you also have teams in Formula E and Extreme E and IndyCar. How much synergy is there there between your teams? 
um, more commercial and, and fan synergy than technology because the technologies on IndyCar are radically different than Formula One or different than Formula E, et cetera. So our, our, our proposition of having four teams is to try and be the most exciting racing team in the world for our fans. That's by giving them uh, more opportunities to see McLaren racing. And then all of our corporate partners have uh, different um things that they need out of a relationship with McLaren and by us having four teams gives them a larger variety. So you see a lot of our partners cut across multiple forms of our racing because they'll be in Formula One, but they want to dial up sustainability. Um, and so Google's on our extreme E. Aero Electronics is our title sponsor in IndyCar, but wanted to have a bigger footprint or a global company, but wanted to expand globally in the OEM space. So they joined our Formula One team. So uh, it's, it's much more a commercial fan proposition uh, is where the synergy is coming. And is there any concern that as F1 gets more electric, uh, Formula E, which is still kind of looking for its, its launch moment, um, will get kind of crowded out of that space? No, I think they're different forms of, of motor racing altogether. So I think, you know, people that love sports, they probably love multiple forms of sport. That's what we see in motor racing. People, if they're a motor racing fan, they're usually a fan of multiple types of motor racing. Formula E also brings in new fans because of where it races in city centers. So I think they're very complementary in different forms of, of racing. Zach Brown, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's it for today. Drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening or just tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you on Monday.